This episode is supported by my company, Amethix Technologies. Amethix is an independent lab that builds solutions for your business. We provide advanced analytics solutions in domains like healthcare, pharmaceuticals, finance, the energy sector, insurance, and many more. With Amethix, you have a business partner committed to delivering more than just software. We deliver the outcome you care about, which is data-driven decision support. If your business is all about data and machine learning or AI, give us a call. Amethix.com. That's A-M-E-T-H-I-X.com. All right, let's do this. How are you data scientists and engineers? How are you business people? What's up nerds? Did you grasp that thing you were studying? This is Data Science at Home, the podcast about machine learning, artificial intelligence, and more good stuff. I am Francesco. I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes. So grab a cup of coffee and join me as we learn more about the topics we love most. Welcome back indeed to another episode of Data Science at Home. I'm Francesco. I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes or so. Today, I'm going to continue the conversation that we had in the last episode about MLOps. I explained how MLOps is becoming uh, more and more trendy, <laughs> uh, if I can say that, but uh, you know, it's not just a matter of a hype or, or trend. It's more and more a necessity out there because I've explained how the figure of the data scientist has changed as we know it from five to 10 years ago. And so uh, feel free to listen to the last episode on the official website, datasenseathome.com. So in uh, this episode, I would like to continue and speak about the uh, most important MLOps principles that you should be observing whenever you have an MLOps engineer on board. And uh, there are several of them. Of course, uh, it's quite hard to uh, squeeze them in the, just one episode of less than half an hour. So I will just go with the most prominent ones, the most important ones, the ones that you really, really would like to pay attention to uh, in uh, your uh, new projects, uh, in uh, heterogeneous or diverse teams, and uh, of course, complex scenarios uh, where data science and machine learning are involved. So I will start from the so-called iterative and incremental process in MLOps. That is something that we should be already familiar with uh, that consists of three major steps, right? Uh, that go from design to development of the machine learning model and to operationalizing that model, right? Uh, that is deploying that model in uh, production environments and uh, uh, you know using pipelines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the three steps are are essentially you know they go from design, so from uh, requirement analysis. Uh, that is the moment in which we speak with uh, business people who are going to tell us about the problem, and we're gonna understand if that problem, as I said, is uh, a machine learning problem, right? Uh, and if so, we have to uh, start, you know, looking at what data is available for that particular problem. And in the last episode, I explained that, uh, you know, this is one of the most creative parts. It's not only the pre-processing. This is before the pre-processing. It's before the cleaning. It's just understanding if data is available. And if that's the case, what data should I be prioritizing on? Because not all data are born equal. 
there are data that are uh, that can be very expensive there are data that can be very rare and so probably uh, i would not uh, you know there are scenarios in which i better not focus or prioritize on data that i cannot find i cannot find easily and then there is of course the um, uh, machine learning use cases prioritization uh, this goes hand in hand with assessing if that particular business problem has a machine learning solution, if that problem is in fact something that is related to machine learning. Not all problems are related to machine learning. And uh, I've seen many times um, organizations that want to be, you know, they want to feel cutting edge, they want to feel innovative, and they many times uh, misunderstand the fact that uh, this particular fact that is indeed uh, they they try to see machine learning where uh, where really there's no machine learning involved the second step is of course uh, developing the model uh, so this is the uh, you know uh, effort that goes between engineers and uh, machine learning uh, experts um, and so for example the work of the job of data of the data scientist in in action essentially in this particular step and this is the step in which uh, the model is tested the model is validated and we know very well how to do this we have been doing this for the last decade or more keeping a, an holdout set testing your model or your statistical assumption on this holdout set and see that all things are in place from a statistical perspective and then call the engineers and say okay well i have this jupyter notebook that now uh, should be um, operationalized and should be served for example as an api but before that we need to deploy this model somehow and so we need to understand how is the infrastructure of the uh, user or the client that we are delivering that machine learning model to uh, and the third step is operations and so here we um, usually refer to of course model deployment but also pipelines ci cd continuous integration continuous delivery we're gonna discuss all these things in more detail later um, and uh, as i mentioned already in the last episode uh, the monitoring of both data and the model uh, that's essentially what happens in this third step if you look at uh, you know the the current picture of MLOps is um, uh, something that is much more complex than what we are used to look at uh, or what we have been looking at so far uh, you know when it comes to data science and machine learning the the ecosystem has become much more complicated uh, because there are new needs and uh, especially because this is something that I was saying years ago data science will be in a sense commoditized right and that's already happening uh, the fact that you can download for example uh, very fancy neural networks for free uh, doesn't make you a data scientist you know the fact that you can download boilerplate code that build whatever off-the-shelf machine learning model and you just need to you know restructure your input data feed that model and get your predictions uh, you know doesn't make you a, a data scientist you know and and the fact that this is happening is because that's the regular evolution of things right it's uh, there are a lot of people who have been tweaking and tuning models uh, creating fancy neural networks 
mixing and matching all the libraries that we have at our disposal, building new libraries. I mean, the, the ecosystem is so rich today, uh, much, much richer than it was less than 10 years ago. And all these models are there and they are available to anyone for free. But in fact, it's just the tip of an iceberg because when it comes to making these objects or these predictors, I would say, uh, and making them operational within an organization or you know, behind an internet service, well, the story is completely different. And when you want, of course, to um, you know, produce, keep producing and keep implementing or improving uh, such a dynamic object in a very complex ecosystem while without breaking anything, of course, uh, you have to uh, know machine learning MLOps principles, which is exactly what we are discussing today. And so if you look at the job of the data scientist, you know, it was uh, until a few years ago, was just about collecting data, running some data science experiments, and, you know, put these data science experiments into a source repository, for example, where the model was sitting in, in Git or whatever, and um, uh, and eventually, you know, the, the smart ones were even storing the model parameters somehow. So we had some sort of uh, repository for machine learning models, you know, trained models. Uh, the fanciest ones also had machine learning metadata store. Um, that is, you know, when you have these automated pipelines that go from uh, you know, data engineering to machine learning model engineering, the model was stored into a model registry, the model registry was, you know, consulted by a continuous delivery mechanism that could take models, uh, model parameters from the model registry, load it into a service, and provide the service behind an API. You know, that's the, the, the typical cycle that we have been observing so far. Now, that, that stays, of course, but what happens when you want to keep producing or implementing or improving or adding new features uh, to you know, any moving part of that pipeline uh, or that picture? Well, then things start becoming very, very complicated and you would like to keep all these things under control. That's why you need MLOps. When I refer to uh, tweaking and tuning while you are serving these things in production, uh, of course, I'm referring to business continuity to the fact that you know when you want to retrain something or when you receive an alert from a trigger because your input data is uh, under a massive statistical drift well you would like to first of all fix the problem but of course you want to do that without breaking or interrupting uh, business continuity right so that's exactly what you want to do with you know concepts and uh, strategies that go under the name of continuous integration and continuous delivery. So continuous integration essentially is the strategy that allows one to uh, extend so-called the testing and validating code uh, by adding testing and validating data and models, right? And the continuous delivery strategy concerns with delivery, uh, the delivery of a machine learning training pipeline uh, that can deploy automatically and can essentially serve a machine learning model prediction service. So the service is, you know, all the plumbing uh, usually stays exactly the same, but the core of that uh, prediction service is continuously delivered via a continuous delivery strategy or pipeline.
So another important principle that you should definitely be observing is the versioning. So versioning is um, something extremely important. And I've seen this happening on, of course, machine learning models in the sense that people were versioning model parameters. That's something that makes absolutely uh, a lot of sense uh, due to the fact that the model parameters are kind of a new way of coding because, you know, you have, let's say, a neural network that you train on a ton of data, you get a, a particular configuration of that neural network. It's a black box, of course, you don't understand, but you don't understand code if you didn't write it or if you don't have access to it anyway, right? So we should be looking at the, you know, neural network model parameters or machine learning model parameters essentially as code, because that's a black box that nobody's going to open uh, as much as nobody was ever opening, for example, uh, you know, proprietary software or even open source software just without getting access to the source code. And the model versioning is something that is extremely beneficial due to the fact that models may be degrading over time. Uh, I've been discussing this a number of times already. Statistical drift is a real thing. The fact that data keep changing and the model stays, what happens with time is that that particular model that was delivered and deployed, so in January, in March, probably it starts degrading because the demographics changing or because the, you know, the data coming from an API or from the business or from the population has changed. People's habits has, have changed. And so that model was not trained for that particular divergence. And so, you know, this is something that happens. And so you need versioning. You need versioning because you will retrain that model and you will keep changing the internal parameters of that model. Not only that, we have seen that models can be subject to attack. And so they need to be revisioned. Uh, this has happened already a number of times with um, uh, neural networks for computer vision. Uh, we also made an episode about adversarial attacks in which you could fool completely a neural network in an object classification task by simply changing a few pictures in the image and the neural network was just fooled. That stuff applied to street signs, fooled the network completely to, to recognize a speed limit of 30 miles per hour into there's no limit, you can just go push gas and crash your car. If that stuff is aboard of a, an autonomous vehicle, you can understand how dangerous that could be. As soon as one realizes that there is such a bug in the neural network, of course, the first thing that you would do is uh, revisioning the network, version it, and upgrading everything, right? Now, you would like to version that stuff because you want to maintain exactly the same production workflow that you're used to have for regular software engineering. And then we move to data. So also data uh, has to be versioned for exactly the same reasons. Data is a dynamic piece that keep moving, keep changing with the business. And so you would like to maintain things reproducible, especially in healthcare, pharmaceuticals, but also in other domains, for example, finance, when data is strictly connected to you know, a natural phenomenon that you're observing or a social phenomenon, like people changing habits. During COVID, people have changed their eating habits, the, the way they purchase things online, the what they purchase online, or uh, 
food delivery companies were delivering snacks and during covid they were delivering you know primary food like like you know not just snacks and things that you watch behind netflix but other things like things that will feed you during the day their business their habit have changed completely so that data need to be versioned another principle of ml ops is testing now testing is something that is definitely not new uh, also here we have dedicated a few episodes speaking about testing uh, testing has become something extremely large there is you know the literature is so full now of testing strategies applied to data applied to models applied to pipelines applied to infrastructure and there are so many testing strategies out there depending on what you are testing and how you want to test things for example a machine learning model with a, a non-negligible random component is not going to be easily testable right testable does it exist or tested well probably tested <laughs> um, so if you have a neural network or whatever model in which there is for example um, a component that relies on randomness on sampling if you go into the bayesian world uh, and markov chain monte carlo mcmc that's kind of the bread and butter like that happens every day so you will never have something that unless you fix a random seed you will never have anything that repeats in a non-deterministic way you will always have uh, a tiny divergence that is part of the random component now how would you test these things so there are some uh, testing strategies that you have to consider and specifically designed to deal with random components or do you fix the seed but what happens when you cannot do that you do not test you know so this is these are the principles that you have to take into account when you are in front of something that keeps moving just because of um, a standard deviation or just because of statistical distribution another important principle to observe when you're dealing with ml ops is monitoring also here uh, we are seeing more and more providers developing new approaches or um, just productizing existing approaches when it comes to monitoring monitoring can be applied again to data and of course to model parameters as well not to mention to the infrastructure uh, monitoring the infrastructure is something that engineers are of course used to if something goes down if something burns down <laughs> into your uh, data warehouse of course you would like to have watchdogs and stuff like that you know hardware things that alert you or you know get triggered when such scenarios or such events occur but when it comes to data you need to have a monitoring strategy for data uh, due to the fact that as i said data version change there can be changes in the source system uh, data can depend on other data and the source the, the first source is changing and then you will have a cascading of events that will eventually propagate those changes along the line uh, you would like to monitor data invariance for example in um, in training and serving inputs uh, you would like to raise alerts if uh, data stop matching a particular uh, or a fixed schema that you are considering as as an invariant for your system and if that schema changes while well, you start breaking things you would like to monitor data from a statistical perspective if as i said the statistical drift is one of those examples but also the rate of outliers 
or the rate of uh, uh, NaN values, not a number of values, or uh, infinities or zeros, depending on what your business defines as outliers. Distribution statistics, uh, average values, averages, uh, percentage of missing values, min and max, but also the shape, I mean, the shape of the function. If your population data are kind of moving from a, a normal or a Gaussian distribution to a Poisson distribution, uh, or something that looks more like a Poisson rather than a Gaussian, you would like to monitor that because a lot of the you know statistical assumptions that you made on your model or whatever is going to consume that data might have changed. And then, of course, the easy pieces like uh, data volumes. Data volumes can change for so many reasons. Because an API broke or because your business is just going down or because there has been a change in the way you are collecting data. For example, a malfunctioning in the, let's say, mobile app that is collecting data from your users. Understanding why your data has uh, you know, dropped in volume just by looking at that decay is not easy. Uh, if you don't have a monitoring system in place, it's probably impossible to understand why you no longer have gigabyte per day uh, but you have just a bunch of megabyte in in a week. <laughs> and then of course we have monitoring of the of the model itself. Um, due to the fact that machine learning model performance can decay and usually does decay in uh, in time for many reasons. Uh, I already mentioned a few uh, in the in at the beginning of this episode and the previous one, but whatever the reason, Again, you would like to monitor these things. So you would like to, for example, set a threshold under which you say, look, if the model starts degrading below this threshold, this performance threshold, let's say 70% accuracy or 0.75 F1 score, right? You define what is your metric, depending on what your validation set has been telling you. You define this metric or a set of those metrics and you start, you know, creating thresholds. Um, now, what happens is that you would like to automate that, that part. So all you have a data scientist who's watching the monitor, <laughs> like the screen, 24 hours, 7-7, or you have a, a system that measures that threshold, that measures the accuracy of the model at a particular point in time, and triggers a series of events in which it says, okay, I'm gonna retrain now because um, the performance threshold has been hit. Monitoring model decay is not trivial at all. And I will try to explain, you know, the difficulty and the challenges of this with an example. Let's assume that you are in October, you receive data and you run your predictions. Of course, you, you don't know yet if your model is accurate or not, right? you will know probably in November or in December when you will observe some, you know, some data that were in the future, that were the future in October and in November or December, they become current time. So you need to wait a period in order to understand if the model was right back in October. Now that period is not always, you know, easy to define um, because, well, first of all, it depends on the business. And second, because it can really be a very misleading metric due to the fact that if it's too short, you might be 
you know, taking into account the random component of, the, of your model. And you would start, for example, making assumptions on top of randomness. So if by chance the model is, you know, performing this month, uh, is performing better because the data that you were feeding the model in that particular period uh, was, let's say, better or easier for the model, or they were somehow within the, uh, the statistical parameters that the model is ready to handle, uh, well, then it's good. But if all of a sudden this data, you know, you start receiving, for example, data from the, from the tail of that distribution, uh, well, probably the model is not going to perform as well. So you see what I'm saying is like, it depends on which data you are. And of course you cannot know. So that's why I say monitoring the model decay is not something that you can, you know, it's something that you really have to think of. And it's something that really, really makes sense for one particular business and not another. It's very specific to the business. It's something that in my opinion, it's, it's quite hard to commoditize in a way. Uh, the reason why companies like um, mine uh, do exist, Amethyx Technologies, is because we customize all these metrics for the business of our clients, which is uh, which we haven't found to be something that generalizes across businesses. Last but not least, the principle of reproducibility. Now, you cannot imagine how important reproducibility is and how beneficial having a reproducible pipeline is. Uh, it would save you from, first of all, from many legal uh, issues that you might be uh, in when things are not working. If you want to prove, for example, something, you need that something to be reproducible, right? Not only that, you cannot measure what you cannot reproduce. If you have some, you know, a combination of data and machine learning model parameters that keep changing and you're not controlling that change, and you cannot reproduce it, or you can reproduce it only once, well, then you cannot build any assumption on top of that, right? If not under statistical terms. And so it becomes much more complicated to, you know, build reliability or build a reliable system on top of something that keeps changing and keeps moving and you cannot reproduce. So reproducibility is very important. It's also very important when you have many people cooperating with the same objective and cooperating on the same uh, code base or the same model or the same data. Don't expect that these people work on the same thing all together in the same room. Things have become remote and decentralized, uh, you know, not just because of COVID, but the way people work today is much more uh, complex and sophisticated than they did in the past and I'm referring to 20 plus years ago, where people were locked in the same room in front of a, of a whiteboard, defining things in the same room. Now, this is not happening. And so people will start experimenting at home. They will start diverging from what their colleagues have been working on because they want to discover new things or just because they want to explore new directions. Now, all these directions might succeed or might fail. Many of them will probably fail, I come from the from the healthcare world and pharmaceutical world where you have many more failures than success. And so in that particular scenario, but this of course generalizes to fintech and many other domains out there, you would like to 
have reproducibility in place because you would not like to walk these failed paths again. And so that's where reproducibility allows you to measure things. And reproducibility has to be applied as a principle to the data collection strategy, to feature engineering, uh, and of course, to model development, model training, and of course, model deployment. So the entire pipeline, all the steps that are part of the uh, ML workflow have to be reproducible because they do. There are several tools out there. I even discussed several times. Um, there is also an episode about DVC, data version control, uh, but there are many other tools. That's an open source tool. It's a bit clunky to use, but it's extremely useful. It's extremely interesting and it is open source. It's like an extension of Git for, for your data, but not only for your data, versioning the data and make pipelines, making data pipelines reproducible is one piece of the story. You would like to make data pipelines and model pipelines reproducible. And also you want to make pipelines reproducible. That is how data are connected to models. You will never have, you will always have model parameters that depend on that particular version of that particular data. And so to, in order to reproduce these things, you have to keep track of all of them. So if you decide to really bring your machine learning team to the next level, MLOps is the way to go. And observing MLOps principles is an extremely important step that you would have to take. And the benefits that you, your team and your organization will have are incredible. And so I repeat here, there is a lot of automation, continuous delivery, versioning, testing, monitoring, and reproducibility. These are, in my opinion, the most important MLOps principles that you better start observing within your organization, regardless of the size, regardless of your business, as long as, of course, machine learning and data science and data are involved in your business, this is what you must do. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.